0: You are listening to the message by Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. Certainly learned a lot of lessons. And the lessons of life, I have a subtitle there of what drives us to the Father. Because I really do believe this is... True, and as a a few of these things here in introduction, I want us to read together Mark chapter 3, verses 34 and 35. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So we see here in this first scripture that Jesus had a very close connection with people that did the will of God, he saw them as family. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I like that term perfect will. There's often teachings about two dimensions of the will of God. They call it the perfect and the permissible will. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later through this message. But my goal is always the perfect will. But we're also going to talk about a permissible will. But our goal should be the perfect will of God. 1 John 2.17, it says there, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever I could go on and on all these passages about the benefits of doing what our father in heaven wants of us and our father is in control and as I was preparing this message really this started in spirit when I was going through journey with Jesus and we covered the story of the prodigal son and in doing so uh, I was in a time of prayer which I have been, I've had a great week this past week in prayer and fasting and just spending time with God. And it, has, it is absolutely changing some perspectives of mine. So I'm very excited about it. I'm looking forward to the rest of the year. It's only going to get better. I will as a testimony say this, for the three days that I did it, I was not hungry. There was, there was no hunger. In fact, when I woke up the next day ready to eat, because I do 36 sour intervals, the next day when I woke up, I just, I thought, oh, guess I can eat something. So that's God's blessing. Thank God. And that's what I always pray. Lord, I don't, if you tell me to do something, I don't want to suffer. But I feel so good and so fresh and my mind is changing. And that's exactly what, remember when we talked about fasting, we talked about what it does. It breaks the chains. It breaks the yoke, the bondage. So those things, there's things in me that are breaking and it's only going to get better as we go on through the year. Also, if you're alarmed by the hair on my face, relax, everything's under control. I have declared 2020 the year of the beard, right? Hi George, we're in agreement. George and I see that a real man has a big full beard, so we're going to go for that. That's not real. I, I'm doing it because I just, I don't know why I'm doing it. I just felt like doing it. That's not, I can't say God told me to grow my beard out. You know, that's a weird sounding. Uh, but I, I, I am. I, it's going to get long, so be prepared. I'm going to let it keep growing. I, I might even get like, you know, like old wild man looking. I, I don't know yet. I do have kind of a plan, but we'll see. Anyway, I'm preparing this message and I'm thinking of all these things that God does and about the Father and this parable, this beautiful story about uh, what I believe is truly about what brings us back to the Father after we've walked away from the mentality of God or from the will that we're talking about here, not once but often. In other words, this parable, the prodigal son, traditionally as we get into it in a moment, I've applied it to people who've walked away from God people who have backslidden, people who are out in the world, they don't care anymore, but I think it's much bigger than that. I think it has to do with God's purpose, God's will. I see it reflected in prayer, and really this pattern that we see in it is common in man to venture off into uh, his or her own will, our own plan, our own purpose, and we find ourselves in a place of discontentment until we consider our options. In other words, like he does in the story, we'll see in a moment, he comes to himself. He comes to his senses and decides that he wants to make a change. And God, God does that. Discerning the will of God is not always easy. And this is seen in the way we pray. In other words, we know that when we are in a place of despair, we tend to pray more. And so I see this parable as effective in, in the realms of prayer that we pray, we spend time in the Word of God, we connect and have a fellowship with God, and we develop an instant intimacy with Him on a daily basis, but that tends to grow when we are in trouble, which draws us back to the Father. It drives us to Him. Lessons of life will do that. The more we confront, the more difficulties we have to face, the more we will learn. So in this story that we're looking at here, we're, we're going to find this young man that lives in the perfect will of his earthly father until one day he has another idea and he decides to do something different and the father in this story allows him to go out and find it. In other words, the father had control over this and that's really what I want us to keep in mind as we go through this story. Maybe you never thought of it before. Maybe you thought of this second son as a rebel that he had no choice and he lost him and he ran away from home. No, he did not. Uh, The inheritance The money and all that the father had was within the control of the father. So it was allowed by the father for for what happened. And I believe there was a method to this kind of madness. And I believe that there's a method that God is using in all of our lives. And so we're going to see seven facts about the lessons of life. So let's get right into this. Number one. uh, We want what we do not have in life. Now last week... We were talking about the dangers of fairness and entitlement. We saw the ten virgins, and we had the five foolish and the five wise, and we talked about the fact that the foolish, they simply had some entitlement issues, and they believed that what was others was theirs, and they placed a demand on oil that was not theirs. They had a bad mentality from the beginning, and as a result, we saw that it's dangerous, because in the end time, men will become lovers of themselves. And that's really what we covered last week. This kind of connects to the same idea. Because here we find another young person that had some ideas of entitlement that got them into a lot of trouble. Because this is exactly what he feels. He feels that what is in this case is something that he wants because he's never lived life to its fullest by his perspective. He's never been able to really experience what he truly wants. In other words, he had a vision and a plan and an idea about what life would be, but what he failed to recognize was that right where he was, he had everything he needed and that God was taken care of. He's in the house of the Father. And this is a parable given where the Father in this story is Father God. It's pretty easy to understand. And then the sons are the believers of God. As many as come unto Jesus and believe in him, we have been given the right to become the children of God. So we are the sons and daughters of God, and we relate to our heavenly Father now just as Jesus taught us to. He taught us the prayer, our Father who is in heaven. So we talk to him. We ask for his purposes to be done, for his will to be fulfilled in us. But sometimes in life we want what we don't have. Uh, We ask for many things. We know that, some, that one scripture says that you have not because you ask not. Or you don't have because you ask amiss, it says. Or erroneously, wanting to consume those things on, in your own desire, in your own passion. And that is when we want what we do not have in life. In Luke fifteen eleven, the story starts. Jesus continued because he's telling many parables. And he says, there was a man... ...who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And I start looking at this as it says, There was a man who had two sons. So we see Father God, as I said, and the parable tells us about the characteristics of two different types of people. Because both of these sons have an issue, and they represent the believers in Christ... Neither of them are really correct. Because both of them get corrected in this story. But they both had their own versions of entitlement in the way that they saw life. And I'm going to cover that. So this is due to our inherent weakness as sinful man. But still there is, there's a loving father in heaven. And he's going to do everything he can to rescue us from ourselves. And really that's what he wants to do. He wants to set us free from the things that we create for ourselves. So consider that his father... In this story, knew everything about his sons. I have sons. I have children. I just come back from spending time with them in Tokyo. Love my boys. I saw good things in my sons on this trip. Better things than I've seen in a while. I see better things. It's getting better in their lives. Now how do I know that? Because I've seen them from the time they were born? I was there the day that my son came out of my wife's womb. The second son, I was the one that did the delivery. I actually, what we were just me and her together and my first son watching. And the baby came out and I did the delivery. And I delivered and cut the cord and did everything. And we were all by ourselves in a remote area. And I thank God for that opportunity. That means I was able to bond with my child from birth. And I know things about my sons that they don't even know about themselves. How is that possible? Because they're my children. I have an anointing from the father to know my kids. And so this son and this father in this story, this man where it talks about who had these two sons, we have to understand that he knew everything about these boys. He knew what they were like, he knew their ideas, he knew their proclivities or the things that they were prone to do, he knew the good and the bad. And as a father, I'm sure he taught them frequently about what is good. They're of Hebrew culture. And in the Bible, I mean, we assume that they are. And in the Bible, there are lots of Psalms and Proverbs saying that we had to raise our children a certain way. And you teach those principles. My son listen to the teachings of the father. We can go and see that Psalm. It's very beautiful. I use it when I teach biblical family life about parenting. But in this case, I'm sure that this father was explaining to both children all the time about the principles of life. But sometimes, no matter what someone is taught, or what is heard from an authority, a father, a mother, a pastor even, or a leader or a teacher, it goes in one ear and out the other. Because they have a certain concept of the fact that they believe they know better. And I was guilty of this in many regards. Guilty with my parents, guilty with my pastor at times. He said certain things and I thought, nah, this old man doesn't understand life. And I had certain principles that I was going to put to the test myself. And as time has gone by, I have found a lot of the things that I thought I was right and he was wrong about. Turns out he was right and I was wrong. But I would have never been able to see that or understand it. Why? Because I was under his shelter, under his cover, hard to see. And here we see, based upon this knowledge the father has of his sons, he knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew exactly how they were, and I believe the Father plans the best for us. How many of you think that our Father in heaven has good plans for us? It's that famous scripture again in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you a future, the hope of a future. So he's got great plans and strategies for us, but we don't always understand them. We can't comprehend it all, and so therefore he explains it to us. You have a Bible. I have a Bible. We read our Bibles. Do we do everything in that Bible? Do you follow every word in the Bible and do exactly what it says? Are you in complete confirmation to the Bible and that you can say, I live every scripture? No, there's no way. There's no way. That's why Jesus died, because we can't. But the information is there. So yes, we are held accountable and responsible for that information. Ignorance is not an excuse. We have a Bible. We can study it. Well, what if I go blind and I can't? Well, you can listen to recordings of the Bible. You can learn Braille. You can do many things. It's never an excuse. In this day and age, we have God's word. We have the information of the Father. He's talking to us. That doesn't mean we listen to it. Why? Because we're hard-headed. And this son, I'm sure, heard many times. at the. I picture him with his sons at the table, at the mealtime, telling them, boys, i tell you what. I think of that scene from the movie American Sniper when the father is with the two boys. I don't know if you saw that movie, but he's with the two boys in the beginning. And he's telling them there's, there's three kinds of people on this planet, sons. He explains to them there's, there's sheep, there's wolves, and there's shepherds. And that was his wisdom passed to the sons. And you're going to be one of them. But when he said it, the, the boy really it stuck in his head that he would become a shepherd who protects the sheep from the wolf. And that's, he can't turn out to be the most highly decorated uh, sniper and sharpshooter in the history of military. And it's a sad story because it ends tragically. But fathers teach sons. Sons hear things. And he's telling these boys. And the oldest son gets it. Because he stays there at the house. He's faithful to his father. We find him all the time working in the field. We find him doing whatever the father wants. Later he's even going to make that declaration. And it's a fact. But this younger one. He's not getting it. He's not understanding. In fact we see his heart come out. When he says exactly what he says in the scripture here. He says give me my share. I tell you, let's just stop with give me. Give me. That want. That desire. Notice that he doesn't say here, asking politely, Father, dear Father, I I was wondering if maybe. No, he says, give me. Imperative tense, the command. Mine, mine. I think of the little children fighting over the toys. Mine, mine. And also the birds in, uh, was it, one of the... Uh, uh, the Dory movie, right? They look into birds. Mine, 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 mine. It's true. We have this attitude. This, this boy, he's just wanting his share. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Now the father knew him and the father could have easily said, it's not time yet. I don't think you can handle it. He could have said many things. But look what happens in the story. He divided his property between them. Now who divided the property? Did the sons divide the property? No. The father divided the property, which means that the assets and the value of said property and acquired inheritances of treasure and money was handed over, probably some of the property was liquidated, or if he was wise, he probably found money to pay the son off for the value of his share of land. And if this guy is as smart as I think he is, well, he's a type of father God, so I think he's brilliant. But if he's as smart as I think he is, he probably liquidated or paid the equal value of that property so he wouldn't lose his estate and gave it to the boy whatever the case the boy took it in currency you can't take land with you to a foreign land so he had money and that money was the value of his inheritance he bought him out now why would he do that if he knew things about this boy if he sensed that why would he do that so the father gives what's asked he takes this chance And the Father God in heaven does the same with us. He takes a chance that we may or may not do well. We ask for things, God gives them to him. He blesses us in many ways. In most cases, he restricts us. What we ask for, we don't get because we ask amiss, like the scripture says. There are many things that we don't, if you ask according to his will, it says he will do these things. But how many of you believe that sometimes he will do things that are not according to his perfect will? And that he will release things into our hands that are not according to what would be the ideal. Why would he do that? Well, the same reason we would do it with our children. So God will give you the desires of your heart at times knowing that it's not the best for you. Why would he do that? Because he wants to test you. He wants to help you. So we natural fathers will occasionally allow our children to do things that they insist upon, knowing that they will fail. We know they're going to fail, but we let them do it. Dad, I want to climb on the counter. I want to climb on the counter. No, no, don't do it, don't do it. Okay, you want to climb? Go ahead. You see parents, all the time, the kid climbs, they falls off, bam, hits his head, he's bleeding. No compassion. The father's like, huh, eh? yep, I told you. And it's a lesson learned, right? That's a, that's a microcosm of lessons learned in life. I, as a parent, have done it many times. Okay, you want to do it? Go ahead, go do it, do it, okay. And knowing that it's enough, they're not going to die. They may get a hickey as we call it, there may be a big old bump on their head, they may even have a little cut, something, but I know they will learn a lesson in the process. And I've seen it happen with my children uh, through the years. I allow certain things, we let them take risks. Why? Because that's how they learn. Risk management is depending upon an individual's experience. And so the son is like that, and the father has a plan, the father's plan is not simply to divide the property and give him the inheritance, but to let it become a tool to accomplish something to fix his son's problem. And I'm going to prove this later on in the scripture. So we do this. We bring correction or redirection. Sometimes they're not open to correction or redirection, so uh, they'll not listen to you thinking that they're right and that you are wrong. So we let life teach. Number two. Life gives nothing for free. Notice our focus is life and how it works and how God can use it. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Uh, I don't know exactly what that means. Later we find out that there's a mention of prostitutes. So we know this went as far into the bad realm as he can go. He did dark things. He did sinful things. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Which, by the way, these are Jews. This is an unkosher animal. This This is not a good job for a Jew. And so he's out there feeding the pigs, but he's desperate. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Another translation calls them carob pods, and that they're of, they were no real nutritional value to them, but they were not meant for him. They were meant for the pigs. In other words, the pigs were more valuable than he was because it's a famine, he's hired himself out, people come and go, you can always hire another loser that squandered their wealth, and so the pigs are all that matter. What an embarrassing situation to find yourself in. that it says not long after that, not long after what? Well, after the father let him do what he wanted to do, because immediately after the initiation of the plan of the father, we see the results of the will of man forming this atmosphere that would be conducive to change, that would allow life to teach the son. So the attitude of entitlement that the son had was that life owed him something, right? He believed life owed him something and that it started in his home with his father and his father knew that that's not how life works. And so he said, okay, you think that's how it works? All right. Here's your inheritance. He sent him out knowing full well that this eventually was going to take place. He knew that he would fall on his face, but he let him go out there, and he, he let that entitlement, because he knew that as long as that entitlement was in him, that, that wrong mentality was in him, there was nothing he would be able to do to convince him, because he tried. But if he let him go out there, life could teach him so that he could get back a son without that mentality. You say, well, why do you think that? Well, the end of the story proves it. Because this, my son, who was dead, he's alive. What is it talking about? He was dead as in he was out there in the field dead? No, I think he was talking about his status still in the home. That here he was dead because he had the wrong concepts, the wrong ideas, and there's nothing I could do to tell him, and so I'm going to send him away. And it works because later he comes and said, This, my son, who was dead, is now alive. His lights turned on. And we're going to prove that in a moment too. But he had to learn this lesson, that life gives nothing for free. He's out there working, slaving, nobody's feeding him. And the changing of that atmosphere had to take place in order to demonstrate the reality of this point. Because nothing is free. Well, this is not uncommon to all of us, really. Sin did this for man. We were in a garden where we could eat any fruit we want, right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened and given heed to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. The ground is under a curse because of you. You ever think the ground might be angry at us because of our sin? The Bible says that all creation groans in earnest expectation of the manifestations of the sons of God. Meaning they're waiting for this decay to stop. Earth itself is like, please, how long do we have to deal with these humans? The people who are environmentalists that are unhappy about global warming and such would agree with that point. They'd be like, look what we're doing to the planet. But here we see that this started back then. You shall not eat of it. The ground is under a curse because of you. In sour and toil shall you eat of the fruits of it all the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall, bring, uh, shall it bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So here, the conditions of sin, when we rejected God's principles, caused us to be ejected from paradise. And that principle of labor began. Before that, they also labored, but they labored in a perfect sphere of sinlessness. And he still had jobs, right? He had to name all the animals, all those things. But we see the beginning of this. The father had to do something. So the father had to expel them from the garden and learn some lessons. And they had hundreds and hundreds of years of lessons until Jesus came back and died on the cross to pay for our sins. But it does not excuse us from this fact that a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat, Paul said to those in the church. We have to do things. We have to understand. We have to do the best, sometimes by the sweat of our brow, hard work. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish we could all, but certainly we can't handle it because we couldn't handle it in the garden. And if it were given to us now in our current state, we wouldn't be able to handle it. Adam and Eve were better than us, and they failed that test. I think Adam and Eve had it, had it more going on in every capacity than we do. But the Father wants to fix us, and he has tools with which to do it. Number three, life, again, is the tool. Remember the title of the message Life teaches us if we listen. Life might not teach. Some people are so hard-headed they never learn a lesson. But not this young man. Because it says here, when he came to his senses. And that's very important. That we come to our senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, as he's saying this, this is just a plan. He's not even doing this. Can you see the difference in his mentality now? The father's plan has already worked. The father doesn't even know it yet. Now, our heavenly father, causes knows all things. But back to the story of a natural father that sent his son away with his inheritance so that that process of life could teach him lessons so that he could get a son back with the right mentalities. It's already become effective. Not long after that, it said, he went through that. And now look at the psychological transformation that an atmosphere has charged or has, has caused. He came to his senses. He said, "I'm going to say this. I'm just going to go back because uh. he realized, man, he's out there working with the pigs. They're going around him. He's looking at the food. Wish he could eat a couple of times. Maybe even try Ah, put that down. That's not for you. It's for the pigs. He's gosh, I can't. I can't win here." And he started dreaming about his father. He started thinking all the things he moaned and complained about. Oh, no, not lamb again. All, you Think about it. It was going through his head, a time he did not appreciate. The servants in the house fixing him coffee and tea and taking care of him, cleaning his room, you know, all those things are coming back to him. And he's realizing now, man, I blew it. In fact, he decided, I, I don't even need that stuff. I, in fact, the servants that I remember, wow, if I could just be one of them. And I know that, that my dad's never going to take me back. Because what he worked his whole life to accomplish for me, he gave to me. And i have squandered. It's it gone. There's no way he's going to be able to accept me. But at least I would have a better chance of becoming a slave there. Better a slave with him than a slave here in this field feeding these pigs as a hired servant because if I go there they have better food and so maybe I can get a job and just let my dad no longer call me dad and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants I think he honestly expected this to take place and if we stay on the course of this man in the story as in our cases, you know, we eventually reach a place where the reality of life and the circumstances of heart, mind, and soul tell us that there has to be something better. We get deep enough in a trench. We get deep enough into the muck and the mire and the filth of life. Gosh, it just starts to make us think there's, it's so much better with the Lord. Uh, I need to return to my first love in the case of repentance. I need to change and go back to the things that God originally told. Life will teach us these harsh lessons when we come to our senses. We can't come to our senses. As long as he was in his house, he would have never come to his senses. In other words, he was senseless. And the father knew it. Godly sorrow brings repentance. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So we see two categories of sorrow. Actually, the Bible is full of double standards when it comes to certain emotions and feelings and ideas. There's a worldly wisdom and there's a godly wisdom. And here we see a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow sorrow see what this godly sorrow has produced in you what earnestness what eagerness to clear yourselves what indignation what alarm what longing what concern what readiness to see justice done at every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter so here we see a process of godly conviction or sorrow on them and that's what's gone on in the sun he feels that god allows that to happen to us so that we can grow and that brings us to number four Our Heavenly Father uses life to teach us. What is the tool in the hands of God? Life itself. God can't easily just come down. Uh, Our fathers can tell us things. Pastors, leaders, teachers in the body of Christ, they can tell us things. It doesn't mean we're going to learn it. Sometimes we still need life to teach us. And our Heavenly Father will use exactly that when we're out of his reach in that realm. So he got up. They went to his father, it says. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, uh, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now he is actually employing his plan. He's saying he's ready. Uh, What was going through his mind in this moment? Think about it, when he saw his father running toward him. Actually, there's so many things we need to see about the plan of the father here. It's finally working, but why would he see him a far way off? You know why? Because he was waiting for him. Because he had the plan, and the plan involved, he's coming back. But he had to also wonder, will he? But his love was so deep for his son just like the heavenly father's love the father is not wanting any of us to perish or go through trouble he has a plan for us and he's begging with us please do that plan listen to me and he's calling out to us he's trying to bring this correction to us and so he doesn't want us to be in despair he loves us so much he's waiting for us to come back and he's staring down the road just like this father was doing God knows what he is doing within the parameters of his loving plan and the boy was still so far. And for him to be able to see that boy a long way off, it means that he's sitting there looking down the road. He's waiting for him. I picture him in the morning when he woke up, opening the curtains in his kitchen, drinking his coffee, looking down the road through the window, waiting. I picture him telling his older son and the servants, go to the field, do this, do this other. And him going out in front, sweeping off the front porch and standing there looking down the road. I picture him all day going out there, throwing some feed to the chickens, looking down the road. Just living life, but always looking, always looking, always hoping. He's coming back one day. He's going to come back. Perhaps during that time he was doing that, he kept on uh, feeding this calf, not paying attention to how much he was giving it. So he got fatter and fatter and fatter. And so somebody said, why is this calf so fat? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. But no, he had a plan too. A fattened calf was a calf that was set apart and was given very special food so the quality of the meat and the fat content in the body would increase so the meat would taste better. You know, like Kobe beef. About these, could you hear some of the stories behind those cows? What they do to them? They 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 wash them, bathe them, speak to them. They read read poems to them. They 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 treat them like little puppy dogs, and they bathe them in sake. They, they all. I mean, it's incredible what they do to these animals to make them calm, because they believe that the calm animal will produce a sweeter meat, and they love the animal. It's kind of like an avatar. When they finally kill it, they put their hand on it and they just thank it for its service and Ashemase. I got the little and shoot and kill it and then eat it. But in this case, the man has a fatted calf. Maybe that's what he was doing, looking down the road, feeding that calf. Oh, too much. But he got fatter. Every person has to make up his or her own mind in life, honestly. And this guy who's out there, he needed to make up his mind. Sometimes uh, when, we, when we make poor choices and everything falls apart, we begin to justify it and remain in that place. I can't help but think, well, what if he had stayed out there with the pigs? What if he just mustered up the courage to remain with the pigs? You think it would have eventually gotten better? Probably not. Because there was a bigger plan in process. It was a plan uh, to set him free, a plan to bring him into a new part of his life. So we have to break out of the pride of ourselves, though. That was him coming to his senses. If we do not the things are only going to get worse so how hot does it have to get until we're done when is this biscuit cooked how how long will I allow myself to be in the heat of life in the torture of life and the difficulties of life a- until i change the things god's trying to change in me that's a good question for me and of course that depends upon the stubbornness of each individual heart some people are more hard-headed than others like natural children, some children just have such a strong will. You can't—it's unbelievable. My granddaughter has a very strong will. Uh, Amelia, Edina is a little more, a little more docile. Logan is just totally obedient. He gets a little defiant with his little eyes, but other than that, there's naturally a strong will in some children. My pastor had eight children. We helped raise them, and some of them had just Mary had this will that was always she was one amongst all the rest of them were like yes brother steve okay we'll do it all obey but mary was just this i don't want to do it she's always resistant always resistant every child is different so everybody is different god deals with some people and they just seem to have more of a kras kapala, you know hard head they don't seem to want to submit if the young man had returned before What if he had returned before he made it into the field with the pigs? It's right about the time he was about halfway through his money and realized, oh, man, I'm on a bad course here. I better go back to my dad and he can help me with this. Of course, the father would have still been waiting and still happy to have him. But life had to finish its process. And if he were not completely baked, he would be a half-baked man. So he needed to stay in the oven of life. The process had to continue. Let patience have her perfect work so that you can be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So we found that our Heavenly Father uses life as a tool to teach us these principles. And life is that oven in which we're baking. Number five, our Father has control over life if we allow. How many of you believe that God has ultimate control over everything, including life? He has so much control over life that he doesn't recognize death. She's sleeping. No, Jesus, she's dead. Mm-mm. Come, let's go see Lazarus. He's sleeping. Well, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. Uh, he's dead, all right? I'm just saying that he's sleep- Never mind. Come on, guys. And they went to see Lazarus. We're just studying that today. So, That's how God sees things. Why? Because God is so controlling of all things. He has life within his power. He has control over the elements. He can change circumstance. How many of you have ever seen God change a circumstance like that? Overnight. Maybe you were in some difficult place. Everything was horrible. horrible, you, You see no remedy, no way out of this dilemma. And God just hiccups and everything's right. He can do that. He's so powerful. I've had it happen in my life a dozen times. And it usually coincides with some revelation that I got. And some coming to my senses that I learned a lesson that he was trying to teach me. And it's very important that we understand that. That he controls life. But the father said to his servants. Now notice that he does not answer the son. I'm no longer worthy to he be called, just make me one of the servants. He's like yeah yeah whatever. Hey servants. He ignored him. Totally ignored him. How many of you are glad that God doesn't listen to our stupidity when we're speaking out of our minds? God hears everything, but sometimes he just decides to ignore it. Like, all right, whatever. Look, this is what I'm going to do. He went, I got a plan, Father. This is the remedy. This is what's going to fix everything. I'm going to be a slave in the house. That's it. I'm no longer your son. Take my name off of all the records. I'm just going to be a servant. And he's not even listening to him. He's like... Calling the servants already. And he's pouring his heart out, his cute little plan he had of how he's going to bring the restoration to him and his father. And his father's not even listening to him. It says, But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Yay! I hear instruments playing. Na, 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 na. And the trumpet players come out and these confetti falling. And the poor son, she's still there thinking about his plan. How does this fit into the plan that I've made? It doesn't because it's not about your will. It's about the Father's will. And the Father's will is to lavish you with so much grace and mercy and give you things you've never deserved because he doesn't give them to you out of your merit. He gives them out of love. That's salvation. He gives us things just because he loves us when we are connected to him. When we have the right mentality. And he wants us to have that mentality. He's in control. But we've got to let him. As soon as the son returns the father. Does all that transforms the circumstances of life. And gives back to his son. All that was lost. With the exception of his self-sufficient pride. Which was the whole purpose. That he lose that. And it's gone. That death that was abiding in him is gone. This my son was dead. But that thing's gone. He's alive now. In fact, he rewarded the son with more than he ever had before. And and the other son has contention about this. We're going to get to that now. So our father has full control over all these elements of life. He can change anything in an instant if we conform to his plan. We must always remember this. Number six, life is lived differently by each person now. The lessons of life for me are not necessarily your lessons for life. That's so why it's dangerous to compare ourselves with each other. It's dangerous to look at even the spiritual development of an individual. I can't look at Caleb's spiritual walk and decide I need to walk that walk. Uh-uh. doesn't work that way. Why? For the aforementioned fact that every child is different. Some have different attitudes, some mindsets. We have to let the father decide. I like the, what it says about the servants. A servant will stand or fall according to his master, not the other servants. Some compare themselves with themselves, becoming unwise, the Bible says. When there is lateral um, analysis and we try to compare ourselves to each other, in these principles that we're talking about, it's foolish because God does not do that. Every individual has a different standard set for them. Different convictions, different ideas, different things. The Father determines, in each case, what is right and wrong. There is no right or wrong in general. There's no one single right and one single wrong. Because I've, I've seen God tell some of his children that this is right when for others it was wrong. All of that is adjusted according to cultural norms and according to ideas and experience. If, it's so confusing you cannot standardize the testings that God does. Just like in a normal educational system, there's issues that arise when you have standard, standardized testing. It has to be. Why? Because we're not smart enough to not to have standardized testing. But our Heavenly Father is. So he tailor makes every single thing in our life. He has control over life. And like that, he can change all the circumstances when we come online. But we live it differently. Each and every one of us. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field when he came near the house. Well, first of all, where was he? He's in the field. He's out in the field. What was he doing in the field? Being a good boy. Doing what he was told to do. Laboring, working there. Earning his keep. His ideas were not the same as the other boy. He didn't look down the road and say, I want to be this and I want to do that. And I want my inheritance. In fact, the money was offered to him. What did he do with it? Obviously, he kept it in savings or stayed there at the house with it. Who knows? He may have been partially in on the plan. His father may have taken him aside and said, look, son, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give this to your brother, but actually, I'm going to pay him out of money that I have put aside the equal value of the property. Would you like me to do that for you, too? He may have said, no, no, Dad, I know. I'll get it when the time is right. His father probably said, that's a good boy. Because sometimes a good boy is a good boy, but there's a problem that comes sometimes when we think we're a good boy. And that's where we have to be careful. When we start to feel self righteous, we start to determine that because I do this and this, I am good. So he comes and he hears this noise and this dancing and this music. And so he called one of the servants and asked, What's the deal? What's going on here? Well, your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the and calf because he has him back safe and sound, big smile on his, yay, party hat on, covered with confetti, and this guy's sweating, coming out of the field, he's been working, and this idiot brother of his that's gone out there and wasted all this, it's, it's, it's just a hard, it's a, very big pill for the older brother to swallow. And so he says here that the older brother became angry and <laughs> refused to go in. I'm not even going in there. I'm not, not going to do it. You hear the bass coming through the wall and they're in partying. Yay! He's like, no, I'm not going in there. Sulking out in the field. <clears throat> Pouting. <laughs> Lights, disco lights coming out of the class. You know, there's a party, It's a celebration. He's not going in there. And so he's out there angry. So his father, he cared about that son too. He got the same window where he used to look all the time for the younger son to come down the road. And what does he see but the older son with a sour-pushed face, angry? And so he cares about him. So the father went out and pleaded with him: Why don't you come in? Come on in. It's a party. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, first of all, how does he know he squandered his property with prostitutes? Obviously, he found out some things about the other son. How would he be able to know this if he hadn't been monitoring? So even this brother cared enough to find out. Or maybe the gossip got so bad that it came all the way back to their home about what was happening to him out there. And the father would have heard it also then too. And probably thought, okay, he's right where I thought he would be right now. Because God was at work. You killed the fatted calf for him. He's so upset at this. He's talking about his goodness. He's talking about his entitlement. Another kind of entitlement. So you have two kinds of entitlement here. Two sons. Both wrong. There's a different issue at hand here. More important is the heart of the individual. Compassion, love, concern, understanding the father's mentality coming into that place. It reminds me of of the man in the temple claiming his works for his righteousness. That I pray and I fast and I do this and I do the other. One of my favorite scriptures we see in Luke 17, 8. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. While, he, while Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what servants are supposed to do? That he did what he was told to do? No. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I just recently rewatched every episode of Downton Abbey so that I could be ready for the Downton Abbey movie, which I also watched. And by the way, that's a pretty big project to watch every episode of Downton Abbey. I did it on my off time. I found the moments to watch it. One of my favorite shows. You know why? Because it is one of the most beautiful pictures of servanthood I've ever seen. The whole show, of course, is turned into the century First World War, 1800s as they pass into 19. 19- and it goes all the way up until like 1930 but in that process it shows the changes of society but there was a very clear structure of lords and ladies and servants staffs of 50 60 people in a great house and it was affordable in that economy but things drastically started changing after the first world The, the show depicts those changes but there are people in that house, one in particular that really stands out to me, and if you've seen um, Downton Abbey, you know his name. Carson is the butler. And Carson never, ever, even once fails at being a perfect servant. He's amazing. All of his lines, no matter what he's told, is very good, sir. Uh, yes, sir. No matter how he's abused, who speaks down him, what he keeps the mentality of a servant. And as a result, he's the highest ranking servant in amongst all the servants. Every time I watch it, I shed tears because I realize that's what we need to be. We need to be able to function in that capacity in absolute subservience to, to people in love and honor them and lift, even especially when they're wrong. And just love people anyway. And that is the role of this man in there. There are other servants who can't handle it. And they get offended. And their pride is bruised by this. They don't get the order of it. Their mentality is not right. What happens? Well, they get fired. They're no longer a part of the big house. And I see it as a beautiful analogy of our relationship in the kingdom of God. We need to have a servant mentality to work. That's what Jesus is saying. He says it so clear here in all these stories. So you also, when you've done everything you're told to do, when you are dotting all your I's and crossing your T's, still say this son would have never compared himself like that and criticized his brother if he had that mentality. But God is good and he's patient with us. We are unworthy servants. This really chides against the realms of self-esteem and self-pride and You know, I'm special and I'm not going to do that. No, not me. No, I don't agree. I think it's good. There's a place that we belong in. Find our place, function there, be a servant. Servant to all. Servant to all. Slave to none. We are servants to the Most High, but we serve people as God sends us on those missions. But it's so funny. You know, I see this actually recently, you know, Kanye. Kanye. And I talked about him a lot back when he came came out and all. You know why people have a hard time with Kanye? Because he's the prodigal son. This is Kanye's situation. Why are the people so critical of what he's doing? Deciding that he's doing it by the power of Illuminati and that he's got the eye of Horus in the middle of his meetings. And whatever the case, the eye of Horus is getting thousands and thousands of people saved. I don't think so. It's not the eye of Horus. I don't believe that. Now Kanye's working with Cindy Jacobs. And they're doing crusades, getting more people saved. All these people are coming wrecked. Why? Because he's a little brother who's come back. And he was dead, but now he's alive. That arrogance, and I heard somebody one time even say, well, he's still, all that pride is there. I heard him say, no, no, his, the only pride he has is that he's not going to listen to religion to keep him from functioning as God's child. But I see him as the prodigal son. He's come back. But, of course, there's always going to be somebody that has a problem with it. The entitled believers, especially. Angry. Why? Because the Father God has killed the fatted calf for Kanye West. I wish God would give me so many souls. I've been working 35 years doing this only. This is all I do. Where's my thousands of souls coming to know Jesus? Jesus. How can this Kanye guy who's been living like a whoremonger all this time, filthy things coming out of his mouth, corrupting the youth. I could get on this tangent if I wanted to and get angry, but I'm not. I celebrate it. I'm in the house with the disco lights and the music and the confetti in my hair. I'm excited. And so is heaven, by the way. Because when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices, it says. It's a funny attitude. It's hard to understand. Let's finish this message. Number seven. Unless you lose your life, you will always be dead. He's explaining this to the son, the second son. Why are you doing this? He says to him. You, know, you squander the property with prostitutes and, and you kill the fatted calf. You never even give me a stupid goat. He's mad. My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. What he meant was everything that I did not liquidate. All this is going to be yours when I die. I'm leaving it all to you. Don't you think I know how good you've been? And he was the first son. So that means that he was the, the lion's share of the inheritance. By their culture. All this is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours. Remember he said earlier that your son he didn't claim him as a brother, but here the father is saying, "This brother of yours, he's your brother, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found." The prize in the whole story is the transformation of the attitude of heart and mind of the second son. He changed completely. the father's plan was successful. His goal all along was the betterment of his son. He wanted to rescue his son from this issue. And unless you lose your life, you will always be dead. Quick mention of a passage, and then, we're, and then we're finished. This is where Jesus told the disciples he's going to be handed over to the man and crucified. Peter took him aside. Never, Lord. Never happened to you. That's when he said, get behind me, Satan. Your stumbling block." You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. What is life? How do we define it? The young man in the story defined life and his definition of life was going out there with the money that was owed to him to live on his own terms. And he had to lose that life in order to be saved. First, he had to live it to see what it really was. And he did. There's a group in America. They're the um, Amish people. They're separatists. They live in compounds by themselves with no electricity. They still have horses and buggies. I've always wanted to go live amongst them for a season. They, They fascinate me. Amazing people know the Bible inside out. That's all they do is study the Bible. They know they're good Christians. They have a very structured life, though. I thought I could probably handle it if I went out there. I would enjoy to be with them. But anyway, they, there's a time where they raise their kids on these compounds out in the middle of nowhere for many years, and then there's a moment in their life when they send them to the big cities and let them live there and let them go sow their oats, so to speak so that they can just see what life is like. They even made a reality television show about a group of those teens when they were sent out. It's amazing because most of them come back and say, we tried it, we saw it, we want nothing to do with it. And they remain Amish. But they let them go. I forget when I was young I heard a story about David Hogan you hear me talk about him all the time he took his son Jody this is way back in the 1980s and his son began to be interested in the world and the things of the world because he was raised separate on the mission field as a holy boy so his son took him to a place in New Orleans called Bourbon Street and it's a filthy place I grew up there and there's ev- everything evil you want is there any drug, any prostitute uh, man, woman, boy, child you can buy it and it's a filthy place if you're from New Orleans. I don't mean to offend you. You know your city. But he took his son there, brought him into a back alley, got cigarettes, whiskey, a couple of prostitutes, put him to the left and the right. You want this? It's yours. Take it. Go ahead. Stuck a cigarette in his son's mouth, lit it. Got these two prostitutes like all close to him, rubbing on him. And, and he said his son just got so revolted, he started vomiting. He vomited. He was sick. And he saw it. (laughs) David's an unorthodox individual. I don't recommend that parenting process. You have to know David Hogan to know that that's a par for the course. He's extreme. And Jody's still out there on the mission field as a pastor with a beautiful family serving God. He has no other desire. Sometimes the lessons of life have to be taught. Sometimes we have to see things the way that they are out there to realize that better is one day in, our, in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. In his presence, wow, how happy this son was after he came back. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. So whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find It, it says in verse 25, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Whatever process it takes, the losing of life is the only way to spiritual success. Get it out of your system. Get it out of your system. Spiritual success will manifest physical blessings, but without sorrow. Once you come to that full circle and you understand, and you have the mentality, if you really get a servant's mentality, it doesn't mean that you're going to always be a slave. He will reward you. He will bless you. My father's taken such good care of us because we've laid our lives down in service. We do it every once we have had many, many years with practically nothing. We've had long terms with no money whatsoever in third world country. We have been to hell and back several times. My car has Hades bumper stickers on it. I mean, I have been to the darkness and back, hard, crying in corners, high and afraid to go outside in adverse circumstances in places. We've paid a price through the years, and people sometimes will say, gosh, you're so blessed. God has blessed you. I've had some missionaries... See me and get angry. Say, so well, you have all these things. Yeah, I do. And how did you get that? People gave it to me. I'm sorry. Why? Well, let me tell you some stories. After I get done with them about an hour later, they're like, oh, never mind. You can have those things. Everything has a price. Nothing's free in life. It's just you might not always put together the process it takes to get there, but God gives you favor with men. The Father's favor is what causes my life to exist and go because I've always laid the things down for him. I've been both of these sons more than once. And we all will kind of toggle between these two swings of the pendulum. We'll end up in our righteousness. We'll end up in sin. We just need to strive for that center. Find a place that we can be content and serve God. The lessons of life. What drives us to the Father. Seven facts we saw about the lessons of life. Number one, we want what we do not have in life. Well, I know you do. One good thing is I've had a lot of things and don't have them anymore. It's so cool cuz everything I wanted before when I finally got on the phone, I got them all. I had people give me high-ended, high-powered sports cars, supercars. Give it to me, say just use it as long as you want. Even you heard even when I go to the states and rent a car, the last 3 times I've rented a vehicle in the United States of America, they have for no reason at all upgraded me to a much nicer car. I'm not asking for it. I'll get the lowest little economy car. I'm looking for the $30 a day car. And they have them. You get $24 a day for cars, some $18 in some places. But I I get the $24, $30 car and they say, you want a better car? Because we'll upgrade you for free. Who am I that they would do that? They don't know me. My father knows me though. So I get the charger with the big 400 horsepower engine. And scream down the interstate. Have fun. I get everything that I ever wanted. But it's not even mine. I don't want it. Nobody really wants that car. I see the Lamborghinis going around. I don't really want that. I guarantee you, if I wanted a Lamborghini, God would work out a way to give me a Lamborghini. I don't want one, by the way. I don't want it. I just want to ride my scooter, LTA. Took it away from me. But we want what we don't have in life until we learn those lessons. Life gives nothing for free. Everything costs something. There's always going to be something we need to do. Number three, life teaches us if we listen. He who has ears to hear, even the lessons of life. But obstinate people, hard-hearted people, it takes longer. Our Heavenly Father, number four, uses life to teach us. He does, especially when he doesn't let and when we do not let people teach us. People can tell us. They can tell us. I teach things in my school all the time. And then I see students go out and make the mistakes that I taught them not to make. And then they come back and say, do you have any teachings on this? <laughs> it's like, yes, I actually do. Oh, that's right. You taught us that in Bible school. Mm-hmm. To a life shows it to you out there. Our Heavenly Father uses life to teach. Number five, our Father has control over life if we allow it. Oh, Father, I say right now, take over my life. If any part of my life that I'm living is not the life you've intended for me, God, take it. I give it to you. I'm ready to die again so that I might live. Number six, life is lived differently by each person. How I live is not how you're going to live. You just make sure that you're under the Father and let the Father dictate what is right for your life and go after it. Number seven, unless you lose your life, you will always be dead. It's not that hard, actually, to lose your life. All of you in this room, I'm sure, are doing not everything you want to do and are having to make peace with that. Not exactly what you want. I hear it when I talk to people. They're like, well, if it were up to me. In fact, if those words come out of it, well, it was up to me, I would... It means you're already dying to something. Why? Usually because you're serving people. Might be your family. Might be your wife. Might be your children. Might be your friends. It might be God in my case. But whatever the case, we lay down things. There's no greater love than that we lay down our lives for someone else in deference to them. Otherwise, we just live for self all the time, and it, we end up feeding pigs. Amen. While we stand on our feet, that's the message. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I love God's Word; it's so, so beautiful. So Sunday is my favorite day. I spend the whole day just teaching and teaching and teaching, <laughs> and I love it. Oh, thank you, God! I just want to take a moment to say thank you, Lord, for letting me teach Your Word. Thank you, God. All of us have this. I would rather teach your word and live in that truth and do the things, just explain these principles. I love it, Lord. We give our life to you tonight. We give it all to you, Lord. We give it all to you, Jesus. Because if there's one thing we've learned, it's better is one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. I want to be with you. In your presence, joy is complete. Pleasure is forevermore. I want to be with you. There is one day in your courts the thousand little swear, lords to be with you. In your presence, joy is complete. Pleasure is forevermore. I want to be Father, thank you for your great love for us. That you are hard at work. There's a plan. We may not always understand it. It would be very hard for us sometimes. We can't always see the big picture. Lord, thank you that you take the time to come up with these plans. To change us, to shape us, to mold us. We submit to you tonight, Lord, and we say thank you name. Amen.